Uh, are we? Are we live? We're live. So can we say whatever, and you'll like change our voices so he can't tell. Yeah. He doesn't know. Like, are you sure? Are, yeah, yeah, are no, you sure no. that you can't tell it's us? You're no. absolutely sure. Nobody this is knows. totally anonymous. I'll go by Marvin for the privacy of my family and my uh, safety. Yes. My name is Marvin, and I shall be Brennan. You're Brennan. You look like a Marvin. Yeah. Anyways, I felt like it was important that we come forward um, mm-hmm. just to make the truth known. I've never been a whistleblower before. Mm-hmm. Because of my condition, it's very hard for me to whistle, but I'll do my best. A few words I would use to describe him are aggressive, power hungry, mean. Mean. He's mean. Super mean. Uh, he's really strong. Really strong. Like physically. In a bad way, though. I, I once saw him do a pre sermon push up session. And he got so pumped that his pectorals exploded right through his shirt. My wife and I once went out to dinner with him and his wife, Darby. And the whole time we were at dinner, all she was doing was whispering, help me, from across the table. Mm. And blinking ferociously in order to signal the danger that she feels that she is in. And that's how I feel when I'm around Clayton Walker. I feel danger in danger for my life and everyone's life. Sorry, buddy. I learned my first cuss word from his youngest daughter, Nixon. She works in expletives like Van Gogh works in oils. I don't know about you, but I feel like he's looking more and more like Lou Ferrigno. Who's that? You know, Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk. No, Bruce Banner is the Incredible Hulk. No, no, the actor. Yeah. Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk. Okay, the Hulk's not real yes no. no Bruce Banner is real and he turns into no the actor that played the Hulk right. no, I'm not talking it's about Bruce it. Banner no, go, and it's then like he turns the, into the Hulk the 70s have you ever seen yes I've seen it oh I can do a really good dog hey I'm Clayton oh here it is what I know he's a pastor but I'm not really even sure he's a Christian when we have our staff meetings he has you know, he had a, his chair specially made so it sits five inches higher than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very uh, easily intimidated. Mm-hmm. Yep. The rule is we're not allowed to show our teeth to him or look him in the eye. Right. Mm-hmm. Very primal. Uh, most people don't know this, but he actually has false teeth. And fingers. Anyway, I, I think it's important that people finally know the, the real Clayton Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody's got to put a stop to it. Vote no for Clayton Walker. This video was paid for and approved by Mark and Brandon. I, I've got real teeth and real fingers, okay? They're not false. They're not fake, all right? Well, I want to welcome you uh, to part two of our Undecided series. Uh, I want to welcome you here. If you're watching online, welcome to you. Welcome to you guys uh, watching at our Hope City campuses at LCDC and CRTC. We are pumped you guys are joining us right now as well. And we're going to kick off today the same way we did last week with a couple would you rather questions that I've gotten from Brandon and Mark. All right. Number one, would you rather hit every green light? So no more red lights, hit every green light or never have to watch a commercial again. How many would say hit every green light? I'll watch all the commercials. All right. Okay. Okay. A little bit more. Okay. What about how many of you would say I would rather uh, watch the commercials uh, or never have to watch a commercial and still hit red lights every once in a while, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So we're kind of split on that one. What about this one? Would you rather eat a pound of nickels like the currency, the coin, a pound, okay. Eat a pound of nickels or would you rather eat the entire contents of a full vacuum bag? Okay. <laughs> how many of you say I'd rather eat a pound of nickels, the currency, the coin? All right. Okay. How many of you I'd rather eat the contents of a vacuum bag? Wow. It's about the same in the last service. Almost no one chose the vacuum bag. Well, my wife sent me a text this week and I had an interesting, would you rather? She sent me the normal text with four different pictures with her and her outfits and different shoes and said, which one do you like best? 
Now, all of us guys know that's a trap. I mean, you can't, you can't answer that correctly. There's no way to answer that would you rather question. And so I said, I like all four of them the best. And she's like, no, that's not gonna work. I need, you to, I need you to help me. I need you to tell me which one. I was like, okay, well, I like three of them. I like all three of these. She's like, no, I need you to narrow it down. I was like, okay, well, I like these two the best. And fortunately, I got out of it at that point, all right? Fortunately, because we all know that's a trap, okay? My daughter has an interesting decision to make this week. She came to me uh, this past week and said, uh, and gave me this flyer from her school that said, hey, there's a father-daughter dance this coming Saturday. And so I get the flyer and I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. I would love to go with you to the father-daughter dance. And she looked at me and she goes, mm, I'll have to think about it and walked off. <laughs> I was like, what? I feel like I was back in middle school or high school all over again with her mom toying with my emotions all over again. I guess that's where... She gets it from. But in this series, what we're talking about is how to make decisions, how to make good decisions, how to make godly decisions. And what's God's will for my life? Because we've all had to make the decisions and some of us have a decision to make right now about a job. Do I take this job or not? Do I move to this city or not? Do I go to this college or that college? And if you're a college student and you're at tech, maybe now it's how I gotta choose my major. Or do I change, change my major? Do I date this person or that person? Who's the, the one for me? Is this person I'm dating? Is this person the one? And we've even said we're talking about political decisions. How do we make the choice on who to vote for and what to vote for? So, so how do we do all of that? Well, if you got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 15. If not, or even if you do, jump on the app now, the City Church Lubbock. You can download that in your app store. Just search the City Church Lubbock and download our app and the verses. If you click sermon notes, the verses and the points will all be there. You can fill in the blank as we go. It's a great way to stay involved and connected and engaged in what we're talking about. But let me set this up for you in Acts chapter 15. Uh, some people have begun to preach that you must give your life to Jesus and plus follow the law of Moses and be circumcised in order to be saved. And so there's a huge uproar and the church is, is trying to figure this out. And so here's what they do. People, churches from every city send elders and leaders to Jerusalem to try to work this out and figure this out. Are we saved by faith alone in Christ alone or Jesus plus nothing or was the cross not enough? Did the cross not work? And, and so now we need Jesus plus something else. The law of Moses, circumcision, baptism, you name it, whatever it is, Jesus plus something. And listen, this is one of the most important decisions that the church has ever talked about and ever come to. And they do it right here in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council. And people like Peter and James and, and Paul are their leaders in the church are coming together to talk about. And I'm sure they were discussing, well, what did Jesus say? Jesus was God in the flesh. What, what did Jesus say about this? And they're discussing it. And let me remind you this morning that you have a decision to make. And it's the same one they had to make. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian today, all over again, we have to decide and we need to make the choice today. Are, am I going to trust in Jesus plus nothing or is it Jesus plus something and I have to do all these other things in order to be right with God and, and to be pleasing to him and, and to go to heaven when I die? And if you're a non-Christian, man, we couldn't be more excited that you're here this morning to figure this stuff out and, and to learn more about who God is and if there's a God and what he has for you and in your life. But all of us have a choice to make today. Am I going to believe and trust that it's Jesus plus nothing or it's Jesus plus something? And that's the choice. If I was going to narrow it down and just put it in the easiest terms possible, that's the decision. That's the choice they had to make. And it's the most monumental decision the church has ever discussed. And still to this day, it's the most monumental and life altering and most important decision you could possibly make in this life is what does it take to be saved? What does it take to be right with God and to go to heaven when I die? So what did they decide? What did they decide? Okay, well, here's what they decided. Acts 15, starting in verse 11, here's the first part of their decision, their choice, and what they came together and decided. They said, we believe that we are, watch this, all saved the same way. 
So there's one way to be saved, they said, and we're all saved by this one way. There is no other way to be saved. It doesn't matter where you come from or how you've grown up or what denomination you were in. It doesn't matter. They said we're all saved the same way. How? What is, what is this way? By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. This word undeserved means unmerited. It means you cannot work for it. You don't deserve it. You cannot attain it. It means this. You cannot do better or try harder your way into the kingdom of God. You cannot do better or try harder than be pleasing to God. That's not the way it works. They said that we are all saved the same way, which means we're all made right with God by the same way. We all go to heaven the same way. It's by the undeserved, the unmerited grace. And grace is something you cannot earn. It's something you cannot work for or attain. Grace is something you cannot do better or try harder to receive the grace of God. It's impossible. By definition, grace is receiving what you did not earn, what you did not work for, what you did not attain. And so they said, we're all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Paul would say it like this in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So good people don't go to heaven. He would go on to say, we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Exactly what they're saying right here. By the undeserved grace of of the Lord Jesus who died in your place for your sin through his death on the cross, paid the fine for sin that you and I owe, eternity separated from God in a place called hell where God's wrath is poured out on our sin. Jesus, through his death on the cross, took the wrath of God upon himself for your sin and my sin and he paid the fine in full. Jesus said, it's finished, it's done. There's no more sacrifices left to be had for sin. The cross worked, the cross is enough, it is finished. And so when you give your life to Jesus, if you've been reading with us in Hebrews, and now we're in James, and the daily devotionals on our app, but if you've been reading with us in Hebrews, you saw this, that Christ died once and for all, which means he died once for all time, which means your sin, past, present, and future are paid for, and there's no more sacrifices that are needed to be paid for your sin. The cross work, the cross is enough. It's Jesus, here's what they decided, it's Jesus plus nothing. Good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to the Lord Jesus. It's the best news ever. The gospel says you don't do. The gospel says he did and it's done. And so please do not ever leave here thinking I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. No, 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 no. The gospel's not you do. The gospel is he did and it's done. And so when you give your life to Jesus, your sin's forgiven, you're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. If you've never made that decision before, if you've never come to faith in Christ alone, today's your day, now is your time. Give your life to Jesus and be saved. They said there's only one way to be saved. We're all saved the same way. It's by giving your life to the Lord Jesus. It's not by doing better and trying harder. It's undeserved grace. And we thank God for it every day. And so this is the first part of their decision. Jesus plus nothing. Here's the second part. Let's see. In verse 19, here's what they said. And so our judgment, our decision, our choice is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They said, we, we want to make it as easy as possible for people to follow Jesus and know Jesus. We want to make it easy. Paul said this about the cross. The cross is a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block for all of us. Because to be right with God and to give your life to Christ means humbling yourself, bowing your knee and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Lord of my life. I give my life to him. I surrender my life to him and I'm humbling myself before him because I can't do it. You see the humility that it takes there to say, I'm sick and I need a doctor. I'm broken and I need a savior to put me back together. And so Paul said, there's a stumbling block. The stumbling block's the cross. Because when you come to Christ, you're admitting that you can't. 
but that he did. And so it's a stumbling block. But here's what they're basically saying here is we don't want to put any other stumbling block in the way of the cross. We we don't want to add any speed bumps or detours or rules and regulations that would get in the way of people meeting Jesus and knowing Jesus and, and following Jesus. We want to make it easy, as easy as possible for people to meet Jesus and know Jesus and, and follow Jesus. So we don't want to add any other stumbling blocks before the cross because the, the cross is stumbling block enough. So they said, Jesus plus nothing. They said, we want to make it as easy as possible for people to come to faith in Christ. And, and, and you might be wondering, and I might be thinking today, which is the point of the series, how did they come to such a huge monument, monumental decision? How did they do it? How did they make this choice? How did they make this decision? Because it's such a huge life altering. You said, Clayton, Clayton, you said it's the most important decision anyone could make in this life. How did they do it? How did they come to this conclusion? Here's how. Here's what they said. Acts 15, verse 28. For, this is how, this is how we came to this conclusion. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. So if you weren't here, you can get caught up on our app. They said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how do we know if something seems good to the Holy Spirit? How do we know how, that God's speaking to me about this decision and this choice? And how do I determine God's will and his, his voice? We talked about that last week. And so they said, here, first of all, we, we made this decision based on what seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And secondly, watch this. Here's how we made this, this decision, this choice. We made it the decision that seemed good to us. Not, not, not to me. They made the decision that seemed good to us. Not to me, but to we. They made the decision. Watch this. And here's what this is saying. They made the decision based on Here's what these verses are saying. And go to the next one right here. Made the decision that seemed good to us. That's how they made their choice. Did you know that Proverbs says that the wise person, the victorious person, the blessed person, Proverbs says has many counselors, has many advisors. In other words, Proverbs would say this, the wise person, the victorious person, the blessed person has a great us around them to help them make that decision. So then if that's true, how do you know if you've got the right us around you to help you make your decisions and your choices? Cause you don't make decisions on your own. The Bible says clearly here, we don't, we don't do whatever seems good to me. I do what seems good to the Holy spirit and to us. So how do I know if I've got the right us around me. How do I know if I've got the right counselors? There's wisdom in many counselors. The victorious, the blessed have many counselors. How do I know if I've got the right counselors? Well, let me show you what I mean in the life of King Rehoboam. If you got your Bible, turn to first Kings 12, scroll down on the app and you'll see the verses that are going to come up. But let me set this up. Let me give you some context here. Uh, first of all, most of us have heard of King Saul. God rejected Saul because of the pride in his heart. He rejected him as king, chooses David as king. Now David's king. And here's how David makes decisions and choices. He's got a great us around him. And one of the people in his us, in his inner circle, is Nathan the prophet. Now David screws up mightily. And many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. He sees her uh, basically bathing on her roof. And instead of looking away and turning away, he gets out the binoculars and he's like, oh, okay, let me see what's going on here. And he puts them in focus. Let me, okay, let me check this out. Oh, okay, this is pretty, I like this. He ends up committing adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. He has her husband killed. So he's made one terrible choice after the next. But Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and because he knows David very well, he knows exactly how to approach David. He knows the heart and the attitude and what it's going to take to get David's attention. He knows him well because David has allowed him in. He's allowed someone in his inner circle, his us, to know him well enough to know just how to confront him about his sin. And so Nathan confronts David and 
David repents. He humbles himself. He repents of his sin. He asks God to forgive him. And it's all a result of David having a great us, having good advisors, having good counselors in his inner circle to help him make decisions and to help him even turn from bad decisions, wrong decisions, to help him repent of his sin. David has a great us. And he listens to them. Next, his son Solomon becomes king. Many of you have heard of Solomon, wrote a lot of our Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and known to be one of the wisest men to ever live. Well, how is Solomon so wise? How did he make such great decisions? Well, Solomon, the Bible says, listened, watch this, to the advice of his father, David. He listened to his dad, first of all. He listened to his dad. That's how he made a great choice and great decisions. He listened to his father. His father initially is in his inner circle before he dies, is a part of his us. And so he listens to his father. Next, he asks God for wisdom in making his choices. What seems good to you, God, like we talked about last week. And then the Bible says this, and this is interesting, that he had many priests of God in his inner circle of advisors, in his us, many of which, watch this, were his father David's advisors and priests. So not only does he listen to the advice of his father David, he listens to his father's counselors and advisors who are older than him, wiser than him, and more experienced than him. You could say Solomon listened to people that were not like himself. And that's important to remember for later. But Solomon listened to advisors and counselors that were not like him. He was young and inexperienced. He listened to advisors that were older than him, different than him, wiser than him, more experienced than him. So Solomon listened to people. He had people in his us that were not like him, did not think the way that he thought, yet he listened to them anyways. And as a result, watch this, Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings on the earth, the Bible says. It was because Solomon had a great inner circle. He had a great us to help him make decisions. So the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon is growing, it's expanding, they're becoming more uh, famous and powerful and wealthy. I mean, everything is going great. Well, Solomon's son Rehoboam comes on the scene and everything changes from here on out, okay? So my guess is you've heard of Saul, my guess is you've heard of David, and my guess is you may, may have heard of Solomon. How many of you, let's see a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard the name King Rehoboam? Okay, a few of us. Okay, and that should tell you something. That should tell you something, right? Most of us don't know who this is. And you're about to find out why. Because when Rehoboam takes over, the people come to him, the people of Israel come to him and say, hey, We've been serving your father. We've been serving your kingdom. Would you lighten the load on us? Would you ease the burden on us? We've been working hard. We've been building stuff. We've been expanding and growing this kingdom and fortifying Jerusalem. Would you take it a little bit easier on us? Would you lighten the load on our backs? So now Rehoboam has a choice to make. And I'm not sure that he realized or understood at the time how huge and monumental this decision would be. You see, I, my, my guess is, is he probably thought this isn't that big of a deal. Uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll make a decision or a choice on this and, 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 and it'll be all right. But, but oftentimes, even small decisions are like a gunshot. They go in small, but the bullet comes out and it's a mess. It comes out much larger than you ever anticipated. It's why it's important to have a great us around you. It's why it's important to make decisions that seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So Rehoboam's faced with this decision. And now you're caught up. First Kings chapter 12, verse six. Here's what happens. So King Rehoboam discusses the matter with the older men who counseled his father, Solomon. Okay. Starting out well, right? 
He's young and inexperienced. He, he's going to his father's advisors who are older than him, wiser than him, more experienced than him. Hey, hey, what do you guys think, he asked. Hey, what, what's your advice? Starts out really well. He's wanting to, seems what, what, what seems good to us? And like Solomon, he's going to people that are not like him, who do not think the way that he thinks. So, so everything's starting out well here with his decision-making process, right? He, he goes in, what's your advice? How should I answer these people? And the older counselors replied, watch this. If you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. So in other words, here's what they were saying. Lighten the load, ease the burden on their backs. Here's what happens next. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men. And instead, he asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. Okay. Now this is okay. He's asking some people who do think like him and are young and inexperienced. Okay. It's good to listen to a lot of different voices, right? But his decision-making process is flawed because from the very beginning, he doesn't like what he heard from the older advisors. Hey, you be their servant. No, 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 no. I'm king. I can do what I want. I'll make the decision that seems good to, to me. And so here's what the younger advisors do. They, they stroke the ego. They, they stroke the pride and they tell him, look, they ask, what is your advice? How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? And here's what happens next. The younger advisors tell him, no, 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 don't do that. Double the load, increase the load, increase the burden. You're king. You can have them do whatever you want them to do. And Rehoboam hears from the younger, more experienced counselors and advisors exactly what he wants to hear and exactly what strokes his pride and ego and makes him feel good. And so he goes with the advice of the younger advisors who are just like him. And here's what happens next. This kingdom that was so mighty and rich and powerful and famous and united and worshiping God and following God basically goes into civil war. And Israel rejects and rebels against Rehoboam. And the kingdom is divided into two. Israel and Judah. And now Rehoboam is leading Judah. The people of Israel have rebelled against him. So now there are two kingdoms instead of one. And Israel would never be the same because of this one choice, because of this one decision, because of this one flawed decision-making process. Israel would never be, it would never know the fame and the riches and the wealth and the power that it had known as a united kingdom under David and Solomon, now it's two kingdoms. And Rehoboam's bad choice would lead to another bad choice. He would lead Judah away from the worship of the one true God to worship idols. And so here's what happens as a result. Egypt attacks Jerusalem and all the treasure and the wealth, watch this, that the kingdom had accumulated under David and Solomon was taken. It was taken. Rehoboam's inner circle, his us, brought him pain, ruin, destruction that not only affected his life, but affected an entire nation. That's how huge that decision was. That's how terrible that decision, that choice was on Rehoboam's part. David and Solomon had great inner circles. They had a great us and they listened to the, the us. They made decisions that seemed good to us just like they did in Acts chapter 15. You see, here's what you got to understand. The us around you says a lot about you. The us around you says a lot about you. It says a lot about what's in your heart. It says a lot about what you value. And it says a lot about where you are headed. The us around you says a lot about you. Proverbs 13 would say it like this. Verse 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you're going to get in trouble. You want to be wise? You got to walk with wise people. But if you associate with fools, you're going to get in trouble. 
And kids in the room, students, college students, my guess is you've heard something similar to this from your parents your whole life. Be careful who you're friends with. Be careful who's in your inner circle. Be careful who you're hanging out with. But adults, it's true for us too. Because a lot of us have counselors around us that tell us things that are contrary to God's word, that are according to what's most popular in our culture today or something they read in some self-help book. And they tell you their opinion rather than pushing you to follow Jesus, pushing you back to God's word and say, well, what does God's word say about this? Those are not good counselors. They're not good advisors. You see, you need an us around you that pushes you to follow Jesus and tells you what the Bible says, not what their opinion is and not what the most popular uh, decision or opinion of our culture is today. You need to know what God's word says. You need to know what seems good to the Holy Spirit and a good us around you will always point you back to what seems good to the Holy Spirit, what seems good to God's word. And so you need to make sure that your us includes the right people, the right counselors, because watch this, your friends determine your future. Your friends determine your future. Your us will oftentimes determine the outcome. And so you need to be listening to people clearly, as we've seen in the verses today, you need to be listening to people who are older than you. But at the same time, you need to be listening to people who are younger than you. You need to be listening to people who are passionate and loud and say what they think. And you need to be listening to people who are quiet and you really have to draw it out of them. You need to be listening to people who are like you. But then you also need to be listening to people who are not like you. Solomon listened to people who were not like him. Rehoboam had the opportunity to listen to people who were not like him, but he went with the word of people who were exactly like him. And so you need these kinds of people in your us, in your circle that you can listen to. The problem is a lot of times we don't want to listen to people who are not like us or who don't think like us because what we typically say is something like this. Well, I don't know how they could possibly think like that. I don't know how they could, could possibly believe that or vote for that. I don't know how they could do that. But in saying that you're actually indicting yourself because it says more about you than them. You've just admitted you don't know. You haven't taken the time to figure it out. You haven't taken the time to sit down with that person and find out why they think that way, why they believe that way. And so we've got to do this. We've got to be moving people from a category to a conversation. We've got to be moving people from a category, the category that's not like us, the label that's not like us. We need to be moving people from categories to conversations. Because Solomon listened to someone who was not like him. He listened to the old guys, that category. He listened to people that were not like him, that did not think like him. And it helped him make a wise choice and many wise choices. And his life was blessed as a result of it. But if we don't ever listen to people who are not like us and who don't think like us, then we're missing out on a lot of maybe, potentially, good advice. Maybe. James, again, if you've been reading with us in the Daily Devos, we got into James this week. In James 1, James says it like this. You need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. But today, we could probably say this too. You need to be slow to post and quick to listen. We should be slow to post and quick to listen. And maybe if you haven't listened, you shouldn't post. You see, a lot of times what we do is lob these grenades at people over social media about the category that they're in with the attitude of, I don't know how you could possibly think like that or vote like that or be like that. I don't know how you could do that in saying about more about ourselves. Again, we don't know because we've never had a conversation. We just put them in that category and we never have a conversation. So maybe if you're a Republican, 
before you post, you should sit down and have a conversation with the Democrat and hear their story. And maybe if you're a Democrat, you should sit down with a Republican and find out what they believe and why and hear their story. Pastor Louis Giglio of North Point Church is in a series called Talking Points right now. And last week he said this, he said that oftentimes people take a stand based on where they've sat. And so the things that people take a stand for are often informed by, and obviously this is true, by their culture and where they've grown up and what their life circumstances have been, where they've sat. And so it's amazing how when you get to learn about where someone has sat, what their story is, what their life's been like, you begin to see maybe how they began to think like that or believe that or vote for that. It may not change your view. It may not change your opinion, but it will change your heart. And that's the most important thing that could possibly happen in a conversation. You see, your view, your opinion probably shouldn't change, especially if it's based on God's word. But a heart change is everything. And in this next year, it could mean everything. If we could sit down and listen to each other and have a conversation with one another, instead of posting a bunch of stuff, we were quick to listen. Probably won't change our views, probably won't change the way that we vote, could. But if it changes your heart towards that person, that could mean everything. So we should be slow to post and quick to listen. And maybe if we haven't listened, we, we shouldn't post. And I'll just be real with you. About a year ago, there was a couple who was interested in coming on staff at our church. And we didn't really have a place for them at the time, but we sat down over lunch and just to hear their heart. And, and it was very clear, very fast, that they were very passionate about immigration. And they were asking me and we were talking about it. And I don't have time to go into the whole conversation, but we just didn't see eye to eye on, on, on all of it. And it didn't change my view. It didn't change my opinion, but hearing their story changed my heart. And it made me begin to think, you know what? It didn't really change my view or my opinion, but you know what? Maybe there are some things we could do to fix that or to make that easier. You see, it changed my heart. Not the core of what I believe, but it did change my heart. Hearing their story and loving them as brother and sister in Christ did change my heart. And that's everything. Especially in the climate we find ourselves in in this country. So move people from a category to a conversation. Now you might be here wondering, okay, that's great, but, but I need help. I need to make my choice, my decision about my job or about my college or my major or who I'm going to date or who's the one. Again, like last week, you've given us some guidelines, but you ain't really given me my answer. Like I need my answer. Like I need you to answer this for me. And I need God to tell me the answer to this choice, to this decision. Well, last week, here's what we said. Love Christ and choose. It's that easy. If you're loving Christ with all of your heart, worshiping Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, you're on mission for Jesus to preach the gospel and make disciples. If that's your heart, then love Christ and choose. Now, if that's not you, if that's not your life, then you shouldn't choose yet because you're not going to make a great choice. You need to love Christ first and then choose. And so if you're not worshiping Jesus and serving Jesus and you're not on mission for Jesus, then you shouldn't make a choice yet. You should fix your heart first and make sure your priorities are straight and make sure your priorities are But if those are things are, are true in your life and you're loving and following Jesus with all your heart, then here's what we said last week. Love Christ and choose. Well, here's what I'll tell you this week. Love Christ's church and choose. They made the decision that seems good to us. 
And in that context, in Acts chapter 15, that's the body of Christ. That was Christians coming together and praying and talking and discussing something together. They made the decision that seemed good to us, the body of Christ, the church. So love Christ church and choose. You see, there's not one Christian on the face of the planet that can ever say, well, I'm just going to love Jesus and kind of do this thing on my own. I don't, I don't, I, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And, and we know what people mean when they say that, but the Christian cannot say that we cannot say, I'm just going to love and follow Jesus. Kind of do this thing on my own. Cause I don't really like the church. Now we all have our preferences and there's things that we do and don't like about church as an organized gathering, but we can't say we, we don't love, we don't love Christ's church. That would mean the love of God. The Bible says is not in our hearts. If we do not love our brother and sister in Christ, we're all broken. We're, we're all messed up. And so churches are filled with people who actually are confessing I'm broken and messed up. So it only makes sense that we're, we're not going to like everything about each other, but we're called to love each other unconditionally. Like we saw last week, we are a family. Doesn't mean you don't have disagreements with your family, but we're called the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so to make the best decision, you've got to be in love with and loving Christ's church, which means you're devoted to it. You're connected to it. You're involved and you're not just consuming from it. You're contributing to it. That's what it looks like to love Christ's church and, and choose. You see, every one of us, every one of us were designed and hardwired by God to exist and to do the Christian life in community. In Genesis chapter one, God says this, let us make man in our image to be like us. That's God referring to himself in the plural, like as us, let us make man in our image to be like us. God, again, referring to himself as what we call the doctrine of the Trinity or the doctrine of the Godhead. One God eternally existing in three persons, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. So God says he exists by his very nature in community. God exists in community and then creates you and me in his image to be like him, which means this, you are created and designed. You're hardwired from the inside out to do this life and more specifically to do the Christian life in community. It's hardwired into you. It's hardwired into us to make decisions that seem good to us. That's the way God designed us to do this life. So much so that watch this in Genesis chapter two, after making everything and saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. In Genesis two, God looks at something and says, that's not good. What is the one thing that God looks at in Genesis one and two and says, that's not good. What is it? In Genesis two, verse 18, God says this, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. God looks at man and says, it's not good. Everything else God made, it's good, it's good, it's good. That's not good. It's not good to be alone. You could say it like this. It's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be separated from us. And here's why. Because isolation from us results in several things. No, number one, isolation from us results in a lost perspective. Isolation from us, from the body of Christ that we are designed and hardwired to do this life with. Isolation from us results in lost perspective. There's no objective voice calling you towards balance. Your highs tend to be higher. Your lows tend to be lower. Your point of view becomes clouded and things tend to seem worse or better than they really are. That's what a lost perspective is. And more than that, and even maybe worse than that, that lost perspective also means bad theology. It oftentimes results in heresy. 
Or you begin to believe things that aren't in God's word, or, or you get too extreme on this or too extreme or here out there on this. There, there's no voices. There's no us calling you back to, hey, let's, let's go back to the Bible. What seems good to the Holy Spirit? What seems good to God's word? And so isolation from us results in a lost perspective. Secondly, isolation from us results in being attacked. The lion, the wolf always goes after the sheep that's separated from the pack. They're an easy target. And the Bible says the devil is like a lion looking for people to devour, looking to steal, kill and destroy your life. And you know who the easy targets are? The people says, I'm going to love my Jesus, but I'm on my own. I'm going to separate myself from the pack. I'm going to get isolated and I'm going to do this thing on my own. I don't need anybody else. That's the easy target for the devil to take out and to ruin their life. Third, isolation results in spiritual immaturity. In Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, it says that they devoted themselves, these early Christians, these first disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they grew spiritually together. They devoted themselves to these things. We grow spiritually in community. In fact, Paul would say in Ephesians 4 that we grow and mature in Christ as we speak one another the truth in love. And as we do that, Paul said, we will mature and we will have a firm and solid foundation where we won't be blown back and forth by everything that comes at us in this life. And so if you want to be mature in Christ, you want to go deeper in your walk with Jesus, it always means being devoted and connected to Christian community. It always means you can't go deeper with Christ on your own. If you want to be mature, you want a solid foundation. It means being connected and devoted to the body of Christ. And then finally, isolation from us results in selfishness. Life becomes all about you. The church becomes all about you. Christianity becomes all about you. It's all about you. It's not about us, it's about me. And that's what isolation does. It results in selfishness. Ed Stetzer works for Lifeway Research and studies trends and things that are happening in the Christian community all across our country. Here's what he said in his book, Transformational Groups. He said, we live in a society that is obsessed with autonomous individualism. The idea that all I need is myself and I can make it on my own. This lie keeps people from connecting to one another and is slowly killing their souls. Many of the most influential sins of our culture, pornography, greed, failure to take responsibility, are fostered in the context of radical individualism. If we listen, we can hear the echo of Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. God didn't design people to live outside of community. About a month ago, we were interviewing this girl to take Brittany's spot in our kids' ministry to help lead our kids' ministry. Her name's McKaylee, and Mark and I sat down with her for lunch, and we were talking with her and, and, and hearing her story, and, and, and she began to tell us that um, when she came to Lubbock as a college student, she jumped around from church to church. And she did that because she never could find a place to really plug in and get involved and get connected. She, she couldn't find that Christian community. And so she said that in her leaving and going from one church to the next, basically what she was doing and in her heart and her attitude was it was their fault. It was their fault that she hadn't found community yet. They, they, they weren't providing it or they weren't giving her a way to, they weren't giving it to her. So she jumped from place to place. And, and here's what she told us. Everything changed though when I felt like God said to me, it's not their fault, it's your fault. You haven't taken ownership of it. You haven't done what it takes to, to even get connected in community, even if they did have it. It's your fault, it's not their fault. And she told us that every church that she was at, they did have small groups, they had life groups, community, you know, whatever it was. And she had not taken the steps to go to those groups. And when she did, she maybe went once and then never went back. Because when she came that one time, 
There wasn't a deep connection there. That takes a long time. It takes a long time to build that kind of trust. And so what she realizes is that it wasn't the church's fault, it was her fault. She hadn't taken the right steps and she hadn't given enough time. And that was the reason why she wasn't connected to Christian community. It wasn't the church's fault, it was her fault. And so she owned that. She got plugged into a group, she kept going, she kept going. She began to develop some deep connections with some other girls. They began to walk with Christ together. And because she owned it and realized it was her fault, not the church's fault, she began to experience what many of us have experienced in small groups in Christian community, those deep connections where you pray for one another and you talk about the scripture together and you go through life together and you struggle together and you battle together and they're there for you and you're there for them. And as it says in Hebrews, as we just read, if you've been reading with us in our daily devotionals, we get to encourage one another daily and push each other towards love and good deeds and following Jesus. And that's what it looks like. Henry Blackaby, we saw this last week, said in his book, Experiencing God, or in his study, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church, through us, to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. You wanna know God's will for your life? You wanna know God's will in a choice or in a decision? Well, God's gonna speak to you by the Holy Spirit through the scripture, through prayer, and through the church, through us. But how will you ever learn the voice of God? And how will you ever make a decision that seems good to us? if you only come once every six weeks or if you're not in a small group. In Acts 15, they made the decision that seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How could you ever make a decision that seems good to us if you're not ever here with us? And so my challenge for you is to love Christ's church and then choose so that you know what seems good to us. And then I believe you'll make a good decision, a godly decision. If you love Christ and choose, and you love Christ, church and choose. Would you pray with me? God, we recognize that you speak to the, by the Holy Spirit through your word and through prayer through circumstances and, and through the church. And, and God, I pray that you would speak to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal yourself, your purposes, your will for our life and, and, and your ways, the way that you would have us to go. God, would you speak to us even in this moment about some of the decisions that, that we have to make and, and that we would begin to make our decisions based on what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Not what seems good to me, but what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So let it be true of us here at the City Church, God, that we encourage one another daily and we spur each other on, we motivate and we encourage each other on towards love and good deeds. But God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear your word as it says in James, we wouldn't just hear it, listen to it and not do anything about it. Because Jane would say, if we do that, we deceive ourselves. But God, I pray that today as we've heard your word, we would listen to it and we would make a choice, a commitment right now to obey your word. That we might be changed, God, from the inside out. And so God, we, we need your help. Come and move in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God, encourage our hearts through the Holy Spirit, convict our hearts even in this moment with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then God, give us the power to change. God, to be committed and devoted to the body of Christ and maybe to join that city group that we've yet to do. It's your name we pray.